The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks trying to bounce back after their worst day in weeks on the back of surging yields and a skyrocketing dollar. Also, the clock is ticking on the big three in Detroit to up the ante in talks with union leadership before more workers hit the picket line. A broader strike now seeming all but inevitable. And sticking with strikes, two days of fresh talks and still no deal between Hollywood writers and studios as those walkouts could last through the end of the year. Plus, the iPhone 15, it hits the world stage as the company looks to reverse some sagging smartphone sales. And then later in the show, another boost for Microsoft and its bid to close out its deal for Activision Blizzard. It's Friday, September the 22nd, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Happy Friday as well. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off the hours to check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P and the Nasdaq on pace for their worst week since March. Taking a look right now, we're basically flat to just fractionally higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq moving fractionally higher just over the last hour. The Dow essentially flat, looking like it would open up about five points lower. We're also checking the bond market, seeing a lot of action there. Yields continue to hover near multi-decade highs. The two-year right now at 5.14, sitting at its highest level since 2006. The five and the 10-year near 2007 highs. Right now, the 10-year, the benchmark at 4.47, creeping very close to four and a half. We're also looking at the energy sector, specifically oil, WTI, the U.S. benchmark. You can see right now, just a few cents back above 90 bucks a barrel, half a percent higher right now in the pre-market. Similar story for Brent crude, not as high, up about a third of a percent. Natural gas making the biggest move to the upside, up almost one percent. All right, now we have some news. I have a news alert for you out of Washington, D.C. All right, Christina Parsonevelis is here with some news for the chip sector. Christina, good morning. Good morning. Well, if chip makers want a piece of that $53 billion chips act pie, then they better make sure they don't expand in countries of concern like China, Iran, North Korea or Russia. The U.S. Department of Commerce releasing today their final rules for firms seeking government aid to build chips on American soil. Companies must not expand advanced chip manufacturing capacity beyond 5% in these countries like Russia and China because the government says they are a major national security risk. Once chip makers do receive funding, they'll have to comply for a 10-year period. There's also no joint research or licensing efforts that could threaten U.S. security either. And if any of these rules are violated, the department would claw back the money they were given, money which, by the way, hasn't really been dispersed for manufacturing chips just yet. Only a small portion, roughly $230 million of taxpayer dollars, was awarded to eight R&D hubs from California to North Carolina earlier this week. It will be a while before any of these companies building U.S. fab plants in the United States even see the trail of money. 
These guardrails, though, are in place to prevent advanced technologies from ending up in the hands of foreign adversaries, but only further adds to the work ahead for the Department of Commerce. They hired Wall Street exec- or ex-investment fund managers, over 130 staffers to sift through 100 full applications. And now they'll have to monitor the activity that goes on abroad, tracking expansions at plants in China, for example. No easy feat when you're sitting in a cubicle in D.C. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, Christina, do you have a sense of what companies you think will be affected by these guardrails? The first four that stand to mind right now are foreign firms. That would be SK Hynix as well as Samsung. Then you have TSMC. And I bring up Samsung and TSMC because they are seeking Chips Act funding here in the United States. They're seeking funding in the United States, and yet they have a very, very strong presence in China. Intel falls into that mix as well. But those first three foreign firms I mentioned, they've already received waivers. So they're allowed to continue doing business with China until October 2023, which we are almost uh, hitting soon. And then there's word on the street that they may get extended for a while, which kind of defeats the purpose of the guardrails in the first place if they're getting waivers from the Department of Commerce. So this is still happening. Uh, This is according to the Commerce Department's final rules. But the CHIPS Act funding is still not expected to be dispersed to those companies in the United States until maybe the end of this year, maybe early next year, maybe the spring of next year. So these guardrails really won't be put in place until that happens. All right, our Christina Partsinevelis with some breaking news on the CHIPS Act. Christina, great to see you as always. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau, great to see you on this Friday morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Happy Friday. Well, a lot of moving pieces today. All right, first up, the clock is ticking towards the United Auto Workers Union noon deadline today for, quote, serious progress from Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis on contract negotiations for its 150,000 U.S. members, about 13,000 of which are on strike since the walkouts began last Friday. Now, in a statement late last night, GM, which has put five offers in front of the UAW, says, quote, it's now clear that the UAW leadership has always intended to cause months-long disruption. UAW leadership needs to put the interests of its members and the country over their own ideological and personal agendas. GM adding it has put five offers on the table and is ready to bargain in good faith. Now, Sticking with strikes, no deal yet after two days of talks between striking screenwriters and Hollywood Studios executives yesterday after reports both sides were closing in on an agreement. Taking part in yesterday's negotiations were a group of CEOs, including Disney's Bob Iger, Warner Brothers' David Zaslav, Universal's Donna Langley, and Netflix's Ted Sarandos. And in Washington, with roughly nine days to go before a government shutdown, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy continues to hit dead ends, sending House members home for the weekend after failing to advance a key spending bill yesterday. The White House is reportedly set to tell federal agencies today to prepare for a shutdown, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We will see you later on the show. All right, turning back to the markets for now, taking a look at futures right now. They're pointing to a mix to a higher open. To close out, what's been an otherwise down week with surging Treasury yields driving stocks to their lowest level in six months. Morgan Stanley warning the sell-off could continue as investors reassess positioning, especially within mega cap tech. A hawkish Fed and the renewed higher for longer narrative, a major factor. 
In a new note, the bank says trend-following traders will likely scale back on outsized market positions in the coming days. Option dealers are expected to sell assets in order to hedge their equity exposures. Let's talk much more about this and the markets with Seema Shah, Chief Global Strategist at Principal Asset Management. Seema, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. All right. So rising rates, they are clearly having some impact on the market. Do you agree with this take from Morgan Stanley? So I think look, the, the rising interest rates are clearly pressuring equities. And we've already seen a 5% pullback in the S&P 500 um, since, since earlier in the summer. So we can see that most of this move is because of that valuation change. There's a lot of pressure coming from there. Now, how long this is going to be sustained is a different question potentially, though, because, um, you know, if you were to see any signs of economic slowdown coming and the market were to reappraise how far the Fed is going to go, then at that point you should see a bit of downward pressure on bond yields. And then as a result, maybe equities could just turn around and continue their, their previous rally. All right. So Morgan Stanley specifically talking about mega cap tech. I, ironically enough, after a couple of days of selling pressure on the Nasdaq right now, it's actually the, the best performing indice, at least in the pre-market, up a third of a percent since we just started the show right now. Um, do you think that sell off there when you're talking about the Nasdaq 100, the Magnificent Seven, those those mega cap tech stocks, will that continue? So they are facing a more challenging environment because even if you were to get a slight pullback in yields, this is a higher interest rate environment. Uh, you put that on top of the fact that valuations have been known to be frothy, frothy for a while, uh, looking very, very expensive. I'm not sure that you could see a sustained rally. But look, for an investor perspective, you have to think about what is your horizon? If you're a short term horizon, yes, there are challenges for that mega cap magnificent seven. But if you're looking beyond that for the next year or two, and actually even further beyond, you have to think, well, there's the AI story, which will probably continue to push mega caps up over a longer period. All right. So more broadly, you're actually saying that right now, after a big rally this year, that investors are finally starting to realize they cannot have the best of both worlds. What do you mean by that? And how does that uh, influence your allocation strategy when it comes to stocks? Right. So if we think about uh, the hopes that maybe there's a soft landing, if there's a soft landing, as the Fed already um, relayed this week, that means that there's going to be a chance of higher interest rates. So interest rates moving a little bit further higher and then sustaining at that, at that level for longer. If you get a slowdown in economic growth, uh, well, at least you get the offset of maybe earlier than expected Fed cuts. So, you know, it's a difficult situation for equities um, going forward because it doesn't look like their rally, um, even if it were to continue, would be particularly strong. So from our perspective, we're thinking that this is going to be a fairly range bound market, at least into around middle of next year. Uh, so from an investor position, you know, maybe you want to be looking, maintain some uh, um, allocation to equities, but also start thinking about other areas of the market, which maybe you want to have some exposure to as well. All right. Seema Shah, always great to see you. Thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. All right. We've got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, we speak with Palantir Technology CEO Alex Karp on the future of military tech and the real world, real, real world possibilities for artificial intelligence. Plus, much more on the strikes rocking Detroit's big three and the serious inflation implications. And then later, we head down to Midtown Manhattan for the launch of the latest iPhone 15. Apple faithful in China already getting their hands on that new device. we got a very busy hour still ahead. And Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. You haven't heard about number crispy yet. Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. 
Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. futures moving higher with the exception of the Dow right now in negative territory. However, the Nasdaq up just about a third of a percent, the S&P up fractionally. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day is getting underway. We have our Airbnb Goumade live in our London newsroom with the early trade Airbnb. You weren't black. You didn't tell me again. This bromance, man, it's on, it's on shaky ground. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Frank. I promise to tell you next time. I absolutely promise. It is my fault. But let's quickly get into the market action, right? It's not an all-black day, unfortunately, even on the market, though. We are seeing uh, tinges of red, even. The CAC 40 is the one we're really looking at. And that's because Ubisoft are moving higher in today's trading, around 3% on the up. That's because of that Microsoft Activision deal. The CMA here uh, in the UK saying that there is an opening door then because of the new restructured deal. So it is helping uh, to push things along on that front. The FTSE 100 is on the up. That's on the back of some mining counters having moved a little bit higher. So too on the retail front, the likes of Ocado and JD Sports managing to pull up some gains there. Overall, though, the market sitting in negative territory following the central bank frenzy we had then yesterday. Very interesting to note on that number that the Bank of Japan has also decided to keep rates on hold today. The governor actually saying that, well, we want to see inflation in and around that 2% mark before we move again. Very interesting notion there. But overall, Europe, really downbeat. All right, Arabili, thank you very much. Arabili Gumade, live in our London newsroom. Enjoy the weekend. All right, we're going to turn our attention now back to the United States. Palantir shares, like most high valuation growth stocks, they've been under pressure since the Fed indicated that rates would stay higher for longer. But the AI-focused software company is still up more than 100% year-to-date. I sat down with CEO Alex Karp in Washington, D.C., in a first on CNBC interview to discuss his takeaway from the recent Senate AI Summit. We also discussed Palantir's work with the U.S. government in Ukraine as President Zelensky visited the White House and President Biden announced a new $325 million aid package for Ukraine. The Ukrainians are among the most technically savvy uh, populations in the world. Uh, They have adopted military means that are in many ways what the rest of the world will do. So um, lower end hardware and high end software. Um, so the, what, what they were able to do with drones and, 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 and hardware is outperform a larger adversary, outperform expectations by integrating their technical talent, their heroism and world class software. And what does that mean for us? It means, and for our adversaries, it means that we have to think long and hard about how do we replicate uh, the methodologies that have worked on the, battle, the next battlefield? And there's, it, it's actually hard for us because some of these methodologies are actually just completely different than what we've done. They cost less money. You need different uh, industrial players. Um, one of my big focuses as an as individual and co-founder of what I think is the leading software, military, non-military provider in the world meaning we've produced military products and commercial products, which is highly unusual, is to 
to talk to people in the Defense Department and talk to people in Congress and the House and explain as best as I can that the way forward is going to look different than the, what we've done in the past. And we have huge structural advantages, but we have to take advantage of them. Turn our attention back to the U.S. Um, in the beginning of this year, for most of it, the so-called AI trade has really dominated the markets. The Magnificent Seven, we're talking names like NVIDIA, Alphabet, etc. Um, we've seen that trade slow down a bit recently. Um, when you look at the broader markets, how much more runway does AI have? Um, is there a definite... Uh, need for it right now? Is there a definite use case for it right now that investors should be excited about? Because you've said there's a lot of poetry out there right now when it comes to AI. I mean, I'm only an investor in one company, but if I were looking broadly at companies, I would ask some of the following questions. What tangible value does this technology create for companies? Like, tangible meaning it can be quantified, uh, quantified both in the quality of the revenue, so how does it affect uh, the top line, how does it affect margins, uh, quantitative uh, value and like how does it affect the technical infrastructure meaning are we better or worse off are we more able to pivot when there's an emergency pivot when there's advantages is there a delta between us and the people we compete against and does this give us a, a local uh, uh, national or international advantage vis-a-vis -vis people in both uh, uh, competitive uh, countries and countries that are in allied countries and if you can answer those questions as yes, then the, the companies that, that produce that are going to do very, very well. You also have to make, look at the negative. If, 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 if the product, broadly defined as AI, whether that's machine learning, algorithms, uh, LLMs, a hybrid of that, the governance of that, define it broadly, uh, cannot answer the question of what value did it create for us and how quickly um, then obviously the, the, over time those, those companies are less valuable. But that's, it's really going back to the basics on asking. On, now, what's hard for investors is that um, many investors have been trained for, with a playbook. And the playbook is basically thin product, thick sales force. Um, and, so, and then they've also been trained, part of the playbook is early stage companies will disrupt later stage companies. And I think what you're going to find in this revolution is uh, thick product, Agile ability to, to use AI with it, around it, on top of it, uh, thin sales force and no playbook is going to massively outperform everyone else. And so okay. the investors... A that, paradigm shift, basically. It's a, there's a paradigm shift, and once that shift changes, the rules, the ability to just say, okay, this fits into these five boxes, ergo it's valuable, is going to get you in a lot of trouble over time. Now, I'm talking about long-term. When I say long-term, I mean two to three years. But this is a long-term story yeah. when it comes to AI. It's a long-term story with short-term effects, meaning there will be effects every year, quarter right. to quarter. That's harder to quantify. But year over to year, there will be big winners and losers within 18 months, two years. Palantir also announced two private equity firms as new commercial customers. CARB says demand for Palantir's AI-focused software from PE firms and hedge funds has spiked in the aftermath of Silicon Valley Bank. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, how some Oprah Winfrey honesty had sent shares of Weight Watchers sinking yesterday. The stock trying to rebound this morning. We'll have much more on this story coming up after this break. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Today's big consumer stat, $12.2 billion. That's how much Americans are expected to spend on Halloween candy, costumes, and decorations. The National Retail Federation says it expects record Halloween sales this year, topping last year's record, $10.6 billion. Wednesday Adams and Barbie, among the most in-demand costumes with consumers expected to spend $4 billion alone just to dress up. So could this early fall spending boost do anything to help a struggling consumer staple sector? Our Dom Chu joins us now with the answers in this month's Sectornomics. Dom, good morning. All right, good morning, Frank. Well, the people who are spending on that are taking some of that discretionary income and having some of that go towards that Halloween trade. But they're also spending on things like they need to, right? Things like laundry detergent, things like food and packaged items and whatnot. So if you look at the way that the consumer staples trade has played out so far in 2023, it's been a massive underperformer. The S&P 500 broadly is up roughly 13 percent. But the consumer staple sector, you can see there, the gap has been widening in terms of performance. It's actually down about five and a half percent so far this year. Now, one of the reasons why has been the relative attractiveness of some of these types of stocks that are big dividend payers on a relative basis. It's been more attractive for these guys over the years because of lower Treasury yields, but as yields start to rise, maybe some of the luster comes off them. Now, with regard to the underperformers so far this year, recent 52-week lows, names you know, Target, Dollar Tree, General Mills, Estee Lauder, Dollar General, the Smuckers Company, all of them hitting 52-week lows over the course of the past week or so. Meanwhile, the real outperformers, similar type products, but better perhaps execution and pricing power and play there. Look at Molson Coors, beer, alcohol, up 25% so far this year. Costco is up 22%. Church and Dwight up 18%. And Walmart up 15% as well. So keep an eye on Staples. Frank, I'll send things back over to you. So, Dom, you just mentioned pricing power. Is that the common theme for these outperformers in this sector? Is that all of them have pricing power with inflation? And also they, they sell things that people generally need as opposed to just want, like, Candy, our consumer stat? Well, it's interesting, no, right? Because you have Target and Walmart who do the same type of thing moving in opposite directions. So this is very much about execution, about strategy as well. Also the valuation that we see for some of these names. But keep in mind, the dividends for some of these players out there have been some of the reasons why people overlook some of those things. Now, maybe not as much of a focus these days, Frank. You're also dumb. I think you're going to help that spending on costumes. I don't really dress up, but you say you dress up. I've already purchased a lot of candy. I don't dress up. No? I I buy a lot of candy. My kids dress up for sure. Oh, well, it's going to be a fun Halloween this year. Dom Chu with Sectornomics. Great stuff as always, Dom. Thank you very much. All right, as we head to break, we are just one week away from our Delivering Alpha Investor Summit. On September the 28th here in New York City, we're going to bring together investors and leaders to provide insight, ideas, and analysis to help you balance risk with maximized returns. Scan the QR code or visit cnbcevents.com slash deliveringalpha. We'll be right back after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks are looking to cap off a tough week on a positive note. With the S&P and the Nasdaq looking at their worst weekly performance in six months, futures right now are higher. And the clock is ticking as we move closer to the UAW's deadline for serious progress from automakers on contract talks. Our Phil LeBeau is on the ground outside of a Ford assembly plant with the very latest. And Apple's latest version of the iPhone officially hitting store shelves all around the world as the tech giant hopes to excite investors with the new release. It is Friday, September the 22nd, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. We're going to pick up the half an hour, as always, with a check on U.S. stock futures. And right now we're seeing pretty much a positive movement uh, when it comes to futures right now. The Dow just dipping into negative territory very slightly. The Nasdaq up higher, the S&P up higher right now as well. So stocks are trying to stage a comeback with the major indices on pace for their worst week since March. We're also looking at the bond market this morning. We're showing you this tough week for the markets right now. We're also looking at the bond market. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year, 4.47, very close to 4.5%. Richard Bernstein's advisors on Fast Money yesterday forecasting the 10-year could move to 4.8, maybe even 5% before year end. We're also seeing an elevated two-year right now at 5.13%. We also want to look at the energy market. As always, we start with oil, WTI, the U.S. benchmark right now. Back, uh, moving higher, actually, right now uh, during the morning time since we started the show at 90.44 a barrel. Started off just above 90 when we started the show, up almost 1%. Brent crude also moving higher at 93.88.89. Natural gas making the strongest move to the upside, up over 1% right now. Well, the clock is ticking towards the United Auto Workers Union. Noon deadline today for, quote-unquote, serious progress from Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis on contract negotiations for the UAW's 150,000 U.S. members. Now about 13,000 UAW workers are on strike since the walkouts began last Friday. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now from outside a Ford assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan. Phil, good morning. What is the latest? Good morning, Frank. We are expecting that we will hear about more strike locations a little bit later on today. Let me lay out what happened today and also some developments from overnight. As you mentioned, we will be getting an update from the UAW a little later on this morning, President Sean Fain is expected to talk on Facebook Live. That's been his chosen method of uh, relaying messages. In that message, he is expected to give more strike locations. 12 p.m. Eastern is when new walkouts would begin, whether it's one, two, three plants. That's, uh, excuse me, that remains to be seen. Here are the developments with the UAW and new eternal, internal messages that were leaked yesterday And this basically confirms what a lot of people have been suspecting here in Detroit for some time with regards to uh, the UAW dragging out this process, not truly wanting to get a contract resolved. One of the internal messages from a a UAW member to another one, if we can keep them wounded for months, they don't know what to do. They being the automakers, the beauty is we've laid it all out for the public and they're still helpless to stop it. General Motors releasing a statement in response to these leaked messages saying, It's now clear that the UAW leadership has always intended to cause month-long disruption regardless of harm it causes its members and their communities. Take a look at the hourly cost for automakers. The big three versus foreign automakers in the U.S. as well as Tesla, the estimate from Tesla, already a big gap. That's expected to widen if the uh, big three offer uh, of 20% raise at least is accepted by the United Auto Workers. And as you take a look at shares of GM, Ford, and Stellantis, remember, we will hear that Facebook Live message from the president of the UAW a little later on this morning. Frank, back to you. So, Phil, these negotiations are clearly getting more and more contentious. Give us a sense. How damaging are these leaked messages in this whole process? Uh, Damaging. There's no doubt about that. But everybody that we've talked with uh, who has been familiar with the process of these negotiations has said for some time, These have not been your usual negotiations, that there have been, um, I don't know, animosity is not the right word, but it's contentious. And the feeling from a number of the automakers and those 
close to the automaker negotiations is that the UAW wants to drag this out, that the longer they push this, the more that they will get and the better that it is for them. And from the big three's perspective, these messages show that, well, what are we doing <coughs> negotiating? If this is how you feel, let's just let's call it off right now and let's get back to the table when you want to have some serious talks. All right. Uh, very big day for this uh, entire negotiation. We'll be waiting for that Facebook Live message from the union president. Our Phil LeBeau on the ground. Great reporting as always, Phil. Great to see you. All right, let's talk more about the economic impact of the UAW strikes. We now have Jimmy Pethokoukas, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute and a CNBC contributor. He's also the author of the upcoming book, The Conservative Futurist, How to Create the Sci-Fi World We Were Promised. That is coming out on October 3rd. Jimmy, we're waiting for the advanced copy. We're waiting right here. Can't right. wait to see it. Uh, good we'll morning. Thank you for being here. Let's jump right into it. You got some new estimates on the potential impact on GDP of a full-blown UAW strike. That's roughly 150,000 members walking off the job and striking. Give us a sense of those numbers and how much of a headwind could it possibly be to GDP? Well, I think the way to look at this is, is if we're talking about a strike in the weeks or a month, something like that, then you can look at an estimate of maybe it takes off a, a tenth of percentage point on quarterly GDP sort of annualized. But it's kind of like the government shutdown where you see these estimates of how much it will slow the economy. The assumption is that you get that all back on the other side. But if what we're talking about is an extraordinarily lengthy strike, I'm not sure those, those GDP estimates of like a tenth of percent of GDP make sense. Because now we're talking an extended period of slower growth. And I suppose how you view that really depends. Do you think we're in an economy that is headed to perhaps a very soft landing or something else? Do you think it's something else? This is not what the economy needs. All right. We're just showing how much the automakers, uh, excuse me, the automaker, the auto workers, I should say, the auto workers make per hour, comparing them to Tesla. But just in general, it looks like they're going to be on on track for at least a double digit raise of some sort during these negotiations once they're resolved. Are you also worried about the impact of wage inflation on the U.S. economy overall? Clearly, we're in a period of inflation. And while I understand that many people are very quick to call that battle won, I mean, we'll see. And I, I just can't help thinking here, what, you know, you know, thinking what, what, is, what is the UAW thinking? We, we heard about those emails. Like, what is the incentive uh, for the UAW and Sean Fain to settle, to settle? One, we have President Biden saying this energy transition has to happen. So the big three have to transition. But this is also a president, when he was vice president, was involved in bailing out the automakers and calling that, you know, and they were too big to fail, just like the banks. If I'm the UAW, I'm thinking this transition has to happen. Uh, the, the government will not let these automakers fail. Uh, I, I would I would say, listen, if there's a real problem here, uh, how about bigger subsidies for electric vehicles? Uh, you will not let these companies fail. We can push as hard as we want, uh, given that context. I mean, I just don't I think the incentives are really poorly aligned here for a short, uh, any kind of short strike. So you don't seem surprised at all that this has gotten to be so contentious and drawn out. You're saying you in your mind, at least the auto workers, they have most of the chips in their favor. Right. So, I mean, they, I think they, they first of all, I mean, what do they fundamentally believe? They fundamentally believe that, you know, this transition 
you know, could cost jobs if these cars are simpler, as we've heard, or if they have plants in non-union areas and, you know, the threat of Tesla. So they view it as sort of an existential risk. I think they genuinely believe that. And if they look at these automakers who supposedly have to make this transition and there's no way, given given what we saw during the uh, Great Recession, that the government is going to let these companies fail, I would feel like, let, let's push this thing and see what we can get. And that's exactly what they're doing. And you saw that in the emails. All right. Some really interesting points. Jimmy Pethokoukas, always great to see you. Looking forward to your book. Uh, you Thanks, have a great day and a great weekend. You, you as well, Frank. All right. Turning our attention now to Apple and the tech giant's latest iteration of its iPhone officially hitting store shelves all around the world today. Here's a look at the scene in Beijing overnight. The release comes as the tech giant faces continued slumping sales of the device. Steve Kovac is outside the Apple store along Fifth Avenue in New York City for this launch. What kind of action are you seeing out there, Steve? Hey, Frank. Yeah, people are actually lining up. I don't know if you can see it in my shop, but right behind me, there are tons of people snaking around. I got here a little before 5 a.m., and there's a line most of the way down the block around the corner on 58th Street here. Um, and look, doors are going to open at 8 a.m., but the real question going into this launch, Frank, is the iPhone 15 Pro. Now, we know Apple is facing its fourth quarter in a row of declining sales, and it really needs people to start buying up those pro phones, the more expensive phones, to boost revenue, get Apple back to top-line growth. Now, those comps are going to be tough in this current quarter, but they do get better into the next quarter because they had such a uh, trouble making those iPhone 15, uh, 14 Pros last year due to those shutdowns in China. So, again, a lot of pressure on the iPhone 15 Pro to sell well. That's where Apple typically puts its uh, best technology, newest features, into the top end of the phone, only to put them into the regular phones the following year. Uh, so we'll see. There's been some early signs. Analysts are pointing to uh, pre-order uh, data already showing the, uh, very long wait times for those pro phones, at least here in the U.S. Uh, so that's a good early signal that demand is strong. But we're going to have to wait and see uh, at, in a couple weeks here when Apple reports earnings for the September quarter, uh, just how well it performed early on, Frank. You just mentioned some of the analyst commentary on this. Do you think this is going to move the needle for hardware sales overall, not just phones, also other wearables like the Apple Watch? Yeah, well, there are two new Apple Watches, Frank. Uh, minor updates over what we saw a year ago. But Apple likes to kind of position the Apple Watch as most iPhone users don't have an Apple Watch. I think it's something like less than a quarter of iPhone users actually own an Apple Watch. So they see uh, new users as the most attractive market there. Uh, also, some new AirPods coming out today in the wearables category. Another minor update there uh, with some smaller audio features and noise cancellation, things like that. But look, the, the big thing is, Frank, is the iPhone. That is the most important product. Uh, and that's what everyone's going to be watching today. Steve, I got to say, I'm pretty amazed that people are lining up. Can't you just pre-order and have this yeah. sent to your house? So it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this phone. Have you had a chance to play with it? The people waiting in line, do they tell you, do they, do they want the more expensive phone, the cheaper phone? Do they want AirPods? What are you hearing? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't talked to any of the people in line yet, but I have played with the phones. They are very nice. But look, the, the story with iPhone upgrades over the last five or six years has been People hang on to their phones way longer than they used to. No more 
uh, except for some very specialized users. No one is upgrading every year anymore. Uh, the lifespan of an iPhone is three to five years now. So a lot of people are going to be upgrading from iPhones 11 or 12 up, up to this 15. Uh, so that's most likely what most people are. But yeah, to your point, people are still lining up. It's been 16 years since the first iPhone launch, and people still line up outside the Apple store uh, on, on launch day. I see people out here with folding chairs and so forth. They must have been here for hours. Again, I was here a little before 5 a.m., line already down the block, Frank. So you say you play with the new one. Is there any new feature that you're really excited about? Uh you know, it actually the the casing on the pros are actually pretty nice. It's made out of titanium now instead of steel, and I know that seems like kind of a gimmick, but it actually does feel a lot nicer. Now, is it worth upgrading from you know last year's phone just to get that titanium? Probably not. Um, and again, that Max phone has the better camera features. It can zoom uh, better than uh, the rest of the other three phones in this lineup today too. So Apple really betting that you know those the camera feature, the titanium. Uh, on the Mac side, they're adding more storage, even though it's 100 bucks more than it was last year. Uh, so really hoping that those extra features uh, are what going to convince the people waiting in line behind me to spend that extra 100 bucks uh, versus what they would have a year ago. I, it's kind of a status symbol nowadays. I still have a phone with like a button on it, Steve. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> ever going to wait in that line. Uh, looking at Apple shares right now, up a half a percent. Steve Kovac, great to see you. Uh, enjoy this day. Should be a fun one. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange. Overseas regulators, they are opening the door for Microsoft to move forward with its takeover of Activision. Both stocks are surging. We have all the details coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with UBS initiating coverage of Squarespace, giving it a buy rating and a $40 price target. It says the company is taking the right steps to position itself for durable revenue growth through 2025 as it expands deeper into international markets and sell more higher-priced subscriptions, shares of Squarespace right now up 2% in the pre-market. CFRA downgrading its rating on Boeing to a hold. It says the firm, if the wave of quality control issues across the aerospace industry continue, it thinks Boeing's delivery schedule may suffer to some degree. Shares of Boeing right now down fractionally in the pre-market. And A.B. Bernstein upgrading Wayfair's rating to market perform. It says... The firm uh, says the move uh, is a more of a tactical call, giving improving revenue growth and margin commentary, but notes the stock has had a strong year to run date and sees further upside potential over the next few quarters. Shares of Wayfair up two and three quarters of a percent. And it's time now for your global briefing. We begin with uh, uh, Japan's central bank maintaining its ultra-loose policy, leaving rates unchanged. Speaking to the press, the governor of the BOJ said the central bank would not hesitate to take additional easing measures if deemed necessary. Reuters also reporting that Tesla is proposing building a battery storage facility in India. The report adds the EV giant has submitted a proposal to officials there seeking incentives to build that factory. And the UK's antitrust regulator says Microsoft's restructured acquisition of Activision Blizzard, quote, opens the door to that deal being cleared by the regulator. The Competition and Markets Authority says that Microsoft's decision to sell its streaming rights to Ubisoft substantially addresses previous concerns. Microsoft saying that it is encouraged by this positive development from the CMA. Shares of all three companies involved in this deal moving higher right now. All right, ahead, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, why your next guest says better days could be ahead for the fourth quarter. And as we had to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders. Here is Ipsy co-founder and chairman Marcelo Camberos. 
We've been through a lot in our countries. High inflation. Our governments have changed a lot.、Um, and many times, entrepreneurship is a necessity because we can't get a job in in Latin America. And I would say, you know, my advice is just go for it. Just go for it. Just like maybe your parents did and your grandparents did back home. And once you make it, lift somebody else up. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your Wex wrap-up. We begin with some some news that、uh, kind of went viral yesterday. We're watching shares of Weight Watchers this morning, following its 15% drop yesterday. This after some comments from major shareholder Oprah Winfrey, saying she prefers staying healthy through the program over using weight loss drugs like Ozempic.、Uh, weight Watchers actually earlier this year made the acquisition of a company that sells a weight loss drug, apparently putting some pressure on the stock. However, looking like it's trying to rebound right now, up fractionally in the pre-market. The U.S. Commerce Department unveiling new rules for chipmakers, including regulations on manufacturing capacity in Russia and China, research and licensing ventures, and compliance、uh, once companies receive government funding. Striking writers and Hollywood executives, including Disney's Bob Iger, Warner Brothers' David Zaslav, Universal's Donna Langley, and Netflix's Ted Sarandos, leaving two days of negotiations without a deal. Both parties expected to return to the bargaining table today. The New York Post calling Disney CEO Bob Iger's reported talks to sell ABC and other Disney assets, quote unquote, greatly exaggerated, and that any ongoing discussions do not mean that Disney is ready to sell. Shares of Disney right now up in the pre-market, up about a half a percent. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy sending House members home for the weekend after failing to advance a key spending bill yesterday. The White House reportedly set to tell federal agencies today to prepare for a shutdown in just over a week. And former Bridgewater CEO Dave McCormick launching his second bid for Senate in Pennsylvania against Bob Casey in what could be the U.S.'s most expensive and closely watched race. All right, here's what to watch today on the data front. We get Flash Manufacturing PMI, Flash Services PMI. Both of those figures come out later this morning. We have several Fed speeches on tap today, including Fed Governor Lisa Cook, Boston President Susan Collins, San Francisco President Mary Daly, and Minneapolis President Neil Kashkari. We'll be watching the United Auto Workers' noon deadline for serious progress and contract talks with the big three automakers and Apple's new iPhone 15. It officially goes on sale. Our Steve Kovac live in New York City with the latest out there. All right, stocks are now looking up to looking to wrap a tough week with the S&P and the Nasdaq looking at their biggest weekly decline since March. We're showing you the action right there. But our next guest says more pressure is likely ahead, but still there's potential for markets to pull out of the skid. And cap off 2023 on a strong note. Sam Stovall is the chief investment strategist at CFRA Research. Apparently, also an optimist. Good morning. Great to have you here. All right. So, give us a sense. How do we pull out of this skid with a lot of rate pressure? Also, looking at the dollar right now, moving about two percent higher、uh, over the last month, and some technical indicators showing the Golden Cross、uh, that we could see an even higher move、uh, higher for the dollar. Well, Frank, I think obviously you have to have additional concerns be added to the equation in order for share prices to decline.、Uh, as of last night, S and P has actually moved into a pullback, which is a decline of five to ten percent. And I target the forty-two hundred level on the S and P as a potential bouncing point, mainly because it represents、uh, a Fibonacci retracement level, but also was the high back in March of this year. So it represents a floor at this point that might be able to be optimistic for investors. Okay. All with that in mind, Sam,、uh, what is your wax word of the day? 
<laughs> the WEX word of the day is countdown. That's because I think investors are counting down the end of this seasonal weakness period, which starts in August and ends in the first week of October. October has 35% more volatility than the average for the other 11 months of the year. Investors are counting down the beginning of the Q3 earnings reporting period, which right now is expected to show a decline of less than 1%, but 50 Four of the last 56 quarters have had actual results exceed end-of-quarter estimates. Also, countdown to the Fed funds rate tightening cycle. Uh, major central banks around the globe uh, have ended or at least signaled that they're ending their rate tightening program. And investors are counting down when the Fed will do the same as well. And then finally, traditionally, uh, markets bounce once the Fed has paused uh, and investors anticipate uh, the next move, which would be a cut in rates. You know, when you said countdown, I thought you were actually looking at the potential government shutdown. Concerned about that, we actually had a guest on earlier this week that the shutdowns don't actually hurt the markets. They actually get a bounce from it. But worried that this might be a different environment when we see things like the U.S. credit rating downgraded and other big macro things impacting the U.S. right now. Well, I agree with uh, the person you're quoting uh, in that we have had 20 uh, government shutdowns since 1976. Uh, in the week before the shutdown, the average uh, change was a minus 0.4 percent for the S&P. On the day of the shutdown, it was a gain of 0.1 percent. Um, basically, it's more of a concern for for uh, tourists than it is for traders. All right. I also want to get to your pick of the day. It actually plays off the rising rates we're seeing. It's an ETF uh, ticker GCOW. Explain why that's a great play today. Well, the Pacer Global Cash Cows, uh, what they do is look globally at companies uh, with very low free cash flow uh, yields and also then looks to those with a high dividend yield. And right now we're looking at a um, ETF that has beaten its benchmark over the one, three, five year period that also yields more than the 10 year note. All right, Sam Stowall, great to see you as always. Thank you for the pick. Uh, ticker GCOW, it's a cash cow ETF. You don't hear that very often. Uh, enjoy your weekend. All right, looking at futures right now, moving higher over the past hour. Right now, we're taking a look. Looks like the Dow would open up about 23 points higher. It was in the red, actually, when we started the show. Uh, the S&P fractionally higher. The Nasdaq making the biggest move to the upside in the pre-market, kind of reversing the trend over the last two days since the Fed indicated higher for longer. That's going to do it for us. Enjoy your Friday and enjoy your weekend. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.